Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. And you know what, Matt? I have a sad in Ooh. my life tonight. What, what, do you, what do you have a sad for? I have a sad because uh, this episode, which uh, features you and I, as, as they all do, right? Uh, almost all, yes. Yes. Was supposed to feature the long-awaited return of... Uh, a Sacred Realms alum going back all the way to the beginning of our show. Episode number two, actually. Episode number two. The second guest we ever had was on for a lot of those first few seasons. and uh, First guest we ever had. Yep, first guest we ever had. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, due to a variety of like scheduling issues and life circumstances, just somewhere around the Breath of the Wild season um, made it difficult to get this person back on the show and tonight was supposed to be the grand return of uh of one kylie parker captain dangerous herself it was going to be a great time wind waker is near and dear to her heart unfortunately um due to a civic disaster (laughs) um her house has been without power all day long and was not able to join us for the recording of this episode tonight so uh we are going to try and get kai back on the podcast uh, at a later episode while we're still covering Wind Waker. Um, I think we still got one or two unaccounted for and really hope that we can make that happen because I know that Wind Waker is is very near and dear to her heart. Good old Kai. And uh, she owes me a Wind Waker party. So um, I hope we get her on so that I can remind her about that. Well, uh, I don't want to like pop your balloon too much here, but I would just settle for getting Kai back on the show and then we'll see if we can make a Wind Waker party happen you know, from there. I settle for nothing. I want both. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. Well, <clears throat> yeah, no, we're uh, very, very uh, sad to not have uh, Kylie Parker on the show. Uh, she is wonderful, wonderful human being who, uh, if you don't follow her on social media, you should do so because she's pretty great. And she has uh, really great content of her own in the form of a uh, little miniatures that she does in diorama form and that's uh it's a really good time so she's just a good people overall looking forward to having her uh sometime hopefully this season and then uh also looking forward to the wind waker party that she promised me so all of those things uh will come due to uh good things come to those who wait right okay i don't know if you're getting a wind waker party matt but you keep dreaming i shall as uh, as the legendary Aerosmith once said, dream on. Dream on. Yeah. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, of course, we do have a whole chunk of Wind Waker that we got to talk about tonight. We got a whole new section of the game. And even though we don't have Kai Parker on to talk about it, I think that we're going to do just fine on our own, Matt. I mean, we'd normally do. Yeah. Sometimes it's not great, but most of the time it's at least good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, great is what we shoot for. Good is what we settle for. So, you know, if you shoot for the moon, you'll at least land among the stars, right? Damn. That gave me a lot to think about. I heard that somewhere. I don't remember where. I'm going to be like mulling that over. Uh, you should. Tonight, it's it's you know? something to think about. Okay, cool. And something for all of you to think about as well. This and if been- anybody knows who's listening, knows where uh, that came from, because it's not a Matt Willoughby original. I heard that somewhere. So if anyone knows where that would be. 
Let me know because really I should've. forgot. I mean, you should have just told me that you came up with that just off the top of the old noggin. Well, I don't I don't plagiarize other people's work. <laughs> OK, fair, fair enough. That's very decent of you, Matt. Very ethical. Uh, let's see. Let me turn my levels up real quick here. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, with all that being said, uh, we have got the uh, what, what is this? This is chapter three of the Wind Waker that we need to get into here tonight. Matt. Indeed. I think this is episode 80. Seven. That's it's it's eighty seven or eighty eight. I'm not <clears throat> sure which. Although I do have my, you know who knows who does know Apple. Apple probably does know. Um, this is eighty eight episode eighty eight. We are creeping ever towards episode one hundred. The uh, the podcast just keeps getting longer and longer in the tooth. And we actually uh, we hit um, <laughs> and longer and longer in the episode. Exactly. Uh, we we actually hit a new record in weekly downloads last week. So we did. That was a big moment for us. Man, it's just really great to uh, know that people still like us and they like to hear what we have to say. It it blows my mind that people like to listen to us talk about Zelda because uh, for most of our lives, most of the people around us couldn't wait for us to shut up about Zelda. So it's kind of weird to have a bunch of people who actively give us uh, two hours of their day every week. Well, and people who volunteer to like come be part of the madness with us, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it must not be that awful of a time. Like, otherwise they would just start saying no. You know, <laughs> That's true. I mean, the fact that they keep coming back for punishment, I mean, uh, for episodes uh, all the time makes uh, makes me think that maybe we're kind of OK at this. Maybe just a bit. Maybe. And of course, uh, next week we will have another guest back. I was talking this morning with uh, the legend himself, Max Nichols, who's going to be joining us for our discussion about uh, uh, the Tower of the Gods and everything that happens around that next week. So that's a that's a big, beefy section of the game, Matt, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. I was about to say, that sounds like almost like a final level uh, kind of temple. It's a really cool temple, and it's a, it's a dungeon that's got a lot of really fun stuff for Max to dig into. You know, he's really good at that. Oh, so it's a, it, it's a puzzle dungeon. Great. Hooray. You're going to love it. Yay. All right. That, of course, is next week. This is this week. So what we've got to do first is get the housekeeping out of the way. After that's done, we're going to dive right into our discussion and it's going to be a great time. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week we play a new section of a Zelda game. Then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to our Discord channel, which is popping on a daily basis, listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and much more. Additionally, one of the benefits that Master Sword patrons and above get is that we read their names every week here on the show. Those legendary individuals will be uh, announced after I hit this uh, stogie real quick here. <laughs> Hey, Matt, uh, why don't you tell everyone what we're drinking tonight? It's been a while since we did that. Oh, that's true. We haven't really told the people what we're indulging in. Uh, so we are drinking some Barrel Bourbon New Year. Uh, so that is the 2022 New Year. So it came out at the beginning of this year. They, they come out with a new one every year, and it's one of the it's one of the better bourbons that can be acquired in the Barrel family of bourbon whiskey. It is a, a quick 90 bucks if you uh, have 90 bucks to spend on bourbon. But Barrel, uh, most Barrel of the time, known- it's a... Uh, Good Christmas present. Barrel is known for a lot of things, and um, being uh, thrifty is not not one of them. It is not, not on the list. Yeah, it is not one of your cheaper bourbons, but it no. is delicious. 
And we are uh, smoking on a nice uh, in-house hand-rolled in fuego uh, cigar. So um, local local cigar shop. I think it is a chain, but like local, locally owned. Locally yep. owned. We're supporting uh, local right yeah. now. Um, in fuego tobacco shop from downtown McKinney. They have some really good uh, hand-rolled cigars. If you're into if you're into cigars, um, yeah, it's a good one. There you go. What Support these- local. <laughs> One of these days we need to do a bonus episode just about whiskey and nobody will listen to it, but we'll have fun doing it. And Jackson will definitely be on that one at least. God, maybe he'll actually like come back on and do something with us again. Yeah, that was what the first season and then never, never again. We keep telling him play the games and you can come back on the show. I don't think he loves us. I don't think he loves us either. I think he's angry. You know who does love us? Uh, our patrons, our master sword patrons, and above. Those legendary individuals are Soge King Vine Smoke, whose name I'm going to read exactly like that for as long as they are the first name on the list. Because man, you just can't you can't really ease into that one. You just have to hit it hard right off the bat. Uh, Kelso, Chris, Tiffany, the Star, Patrice. Why are these loading? What is wrong with my web browser here, guys? It's 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 all on fire over here. I'm sorry. This is this is sloppy pod that we're making right now. Uh, let's see. Okay, Kelso, Chris, Tiffany, the Star, Daxel, Patrice, Stephanie, Darknuck, Brian, George, Mike, Dylan, Allie, Lennon, Melanie, Kolku, Rowan, Josh, Nick. Keep it going, Pod. Dante, Gep, Brittany, Davy, Haru, the Mighty, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Tyler, Ben, Daniel, Nick, the underscore TV, Travis, Christian, Jonathan, Hyrule Interviews, aka. Max Nichols, Garrett, and Drew. These are the most legendary of individuals we could not make this podcast without their generous support. We offer you many thanks, many splooshes, and even more kabooms. No, oh yeah, kabooms are the good one. Yes, kabooms yes, yes, are the good yes, one. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I would never. I I wouldn't wish more splooshes than kabooms on my worst enemy. Really? I would. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's, maybe. Yeah, maybe they deserve. That's it. a pretty. That's a pretty painless. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty painless retribution. So yeah, I think that's one that's pretty safe all all the way around. <laughs> Donald Trump, I wish you many more splooshes oh, than kabooms. Oh boy, we're gonna have to bleep that one out. I don't think I'm gonna. <laughs> You're uh, we're getting a little comfortable. That I am, Matt. That I am. It's a nice night, and I'm feeling good. But without further ado, without any more of that, before before we drive too many more people right away from this podcast forever, uh, this is the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we are covering the Wind Waker Chapter 3, which deals with the Forest Haven and the Forbidden Woods. Part one is, as always, the plot recap. I gave Matt a break this week. I wrote the plot recap, which means that I'm reading the plot recap. So what does that make part one? It makes it the plot recap as read by me. Take it away, me. <laughs> did, you, <laughs> did you seriously just intro yourself? I did. God, you're the worst. You didn't look like you were going to do it. I mean, you weren't given. I would have totally done the whole all of the housekeeping and everything. But you just you rolled. So uh, I'm going to sit back, relax and let you. Would you you like to intro me? I mean, yeah, sure. Cool. Go for it. This week is the plot recap as read by Lyndon. Take it away, Lyndon. So I got my own intro and I got your intro. I got you're, Are you going to keep both of them, aren't you? God, yes. you're the worst. Yes. I hate you yes, so I much. Am. Yes, I am. You want to learn podcast editing? No. Okay. That's <laughs> what I thought. 
Mostly because I don't want to pay for the, the software to do so. There you go. See, it's a win-win situation, Matt. This is just what you have to deal with. This is the price that you pay for the easy life that you're living right now. Uh, fair enough. With Din's Pearl now in our possession, we are ready to report back to the King of Red Lions and continue our nautical journey. Before that can happen, however, we are distracted by an ancient-looking shrine, which we can see through a small cave in the rock face of the island. The shrine is set on a small island a few feet off the coast, and is home to an ornate stone arch and two stone tablets set into the ground, though one of the tablets is broken and illegible. When we approach the unbroken tablet, we notice that it has familiar-looking arrows carved onto its face. Inspired, we equip the Wind Waker baton and conduct a tune using the direction of the arrows as a guide. The tune causes an immediate reaction and gives us the ability to change the direction of the wind at our leisure. We are so pleased with ourselves that for a moment we fail to notice the strange creature who has approached the island suspended on a whiff of cloud. When we catch this being out the corner of our eye, we are immensely startled, and the creature seems amused by this. He introduces himself as Zethos, the god of winds, and informs us that the tune we have just learned is called the Wind's Requiem. Zethos has lived for many years on Dragon Roost Island, awaiting a new waker of the winds to appear. He informs us that the second tablet on the island is meant to signify his wayward brother Cyclos, who became angry when his tablet was destroyed and now haunts the open sea, creating cyclones which can harm unwary travelers. Zephos is happy to make our acquaintance, but is gone almost as soon as he arrived, promising to meet us again someday. This entire interaction has been very strange, but undeniably productive, as we now have an incredible tool at our disposal in the Wind's Requiem. We have clearly discovered all there is to know about this shrine, and so we return to the King of Red Lions, who is grateful to see that we have recovered Din's Pearl, but alarmed to hear about the monsters who were infesting Dragon Roost Cavern. The sentient boat says that there's no time to waste, and we must use our new song to direct the winds southward and immediately take us to our next destination, which he marks for us on our map. As we set sail and speed past islands, sea monsters, and any other distractions which present itself, eventually we arrive on the shores of a lush, forested island. The King of Red Lions says that this is the Forest Haven, the sanctuary home of the ancient Deku Tree who guards Feror's Pearl, which we must now try to obtain. We disembark and attempt to enter the Forest Haven, but must first use both our combat skills and our abilities with the grappling hook to traverse a moving river infested with carnivorous plants called Boko Babas. The Babas drop a peculiar-looking seed pod when defeated, and we collect many of these, hoping that they might be useful later. After some toil, we win through to the interior of the Forest Haven and find ourselves at the foot of an immense tree, which comes alive and speaks to us in the same ancient tongue used by Valu. When it is clear that we have no idea what the tree has said, it apologizes and explains that our green garb reminded him of an ancient age when that language was spoken frequently. After removing an infestation of chews from its face, we learn that this is the ancient Deku tree, the guardian of the forest, and when we explain that we have been tasked by the King of Red Lions to retrieve Pharaoh's Pearl, he is sympathetic and willing to offer help. Of course, there's one small hiccup. The Koroks, children of the forest who live in harmony with the Deku tree, are due to perform their yearly ceremony, and we must wait until this is complete to receive the pearl. The issue with this plan is that one of the Koroks has gone missing and the ceremony cannot take place without him. 
This Korok's name is Makar, and he has disappeared into the neighboring Forbidden Woods while unwisely flying over it. The Deku Tree is quite distressed at this news, as the Forbidden Woods is home to many dangerous creatures. He asks us to go retrieve Makar, and we are happy to help do this, with the assistance from the Deku Tree. We are too heavy to glide to the Forbidden Woods like a Korok would, but with the assistance of a magical Deku leaf from the Deku Tree's own branches, we can float through the air and ride wind currents to reach tough spots. On our way out of the Forest Haven, we stop by the Potion Shop, run by the Korok Hollow. Hollow is able to blend a marvelous blue potion out of Boko Seeds that we collected earlier, and this potion refills both magic and life. It's a win-win! The journey from the Forest Haven to the island where the Forbidden Woods lie is made possible by the Deku Leaf, but it is still very anxiety-inducing to be gliding through the air at such an incredible height. Nevertheless, after dodging attacking airborne pea-hats, we come to the entrance of the Forbidden Woods and enter inside to find a dark forested labyrinth filled with green shoes, more pea-hats, and enemies galore. The hollowed-out lair is immense and easy to get lost in. Though we are aided in our search for Makar by the magical boomerang which is awarded to us after a tense fight with an airborne insect called Mothula. The boomerang is incredibly useful for activating faraway switches, and for stunning most enemies that we come across. After gaining access to the lowest floor, we come finally to a chamber with a beautiful vined flower at its center, and a Korok waiting for us. This Korok must surely be Makar. But before we can say a word, the small forest child is gobbled up by the obviously malevolent flower, which rises up to the ceiling and tries to attack us with its vines. Using the boomerang, we are able to dislodge the monster from the ceiling and attack its vulnerable inner body with our sword. Once the critter is dead, we are awarded with another piece of heart and see that Makar has been freed from its remains. Does Makar sound Klingon to you? Because like every time you're saying the name Makar, I'm just thinking Mechleth. I can see it. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I like it. Uh, not- they're they're polar opposite in uh, you in know like- creature design, but yeah, yeah, sure, exactly. No, 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 no. I get you. I get you. You're not crazy. Makar. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, that was great. We return with Makar to the forest haven, and the Deku tree is clearly glad to see his lost child is safe, and he gratefully awards us with Faror's pearl. With Makar now home safe and sound, the yearly ceremony can begin. Makar produces a fiddle and begins to play a lively tune. The other Koroks begin to dance, and dozens of beautiful seed pods sprout from the Deku tree's branches. The Koroks each take a seed pod and fly off into the sky, promising to distribute the seeds all across the Great Sea, and to return again next year to do the same. We feel good at having helped such a beautiful moment take place, and now look forward to returning to the King of Red Lions with Faror's Pearl, a little stronger than we were when we arrived. This has been the plot recap, as read by me. This brings us to part two, which is our takes where we talk about this section of the game and how it made us feel. Matt, before we talk about anything else, you know, gameplay, this, the, the stuff we got up to this week, um, I want to have a quick discussion about the lore and some of the interesting fictional components that sort of take place here, right? 
because we like there's there's a lot um there's a lot of story that sort of branches off of um i guess like forest lore in zelda here right right so we have another appearance of the Deku tree. We have our first canonical appearance of the Koroks, um, which look basically identical here to how they look in Breath of the Wild, right? Yes. Um, and and, and I, there's just a lot of fictional layers sort of happening here. So I, I was curious, was there anything <clears throat> that really stood out to you as being interesting, uh, you know, from that perspective in all of this? So... Like first blush, obviously, is the the Deku tree being still around, even though uh, Hyrule is flooded and has become the Great Sea is the physics of that are wild to me. Um, But good, like, you know, I think it's important, especially noting that the Deku tree is like the spirit of the forest. And for I think a lot of the Zelda supernatural lore is about the world being in balance and stuff. So um, his presence is kind of a solidifying and anchoring factor. Right. So I think that that's that's good. Um, His direct reference to the green clothes and saying, you know, oh, it brought me back to an older time makes me immediately think that he's probably the Deku sprout from Ocarina of Time. Um, Yeah, that there's that very easy connection. the Koroks are really cool just because of obviously Breath of the Wild and the fact that they look identical is nice. Um, and when he directly ref- that he meaning the Deku tree directly references that, oh, they used to take on human form, uh, you know, obviously meaning the Kokiri. So or, or or it could have um, I don't think he said human form. He said physical form. Um it could be the Kokiri. And I even thought maybe it was just the fairies that were within um that were within the Kokiri forest, but I, I think it is confirmed in Hyrule Historia that they were the Kokiri, actually. Um, but just kind of an, a, yeah. an interesting little, like, oh, it could be, if you didn't have Hyrule Historia, you could go one way or the other. But, um, you know, we know that they're the Kokiri. So all of that tying through lines back into Ocarina of Time is is really fun. Um, and then forward into... Um, Breath of the Wild. Yeah. So all of that, I think, is is accurate. I think your your analyses there are backed up by, I think, what's considered common wisdom in, in Zelda lore circles. And a lot of this has been confirmed in Hyrule Historia, like you said. I don't know specifically what elements of that were and were not. I would need to read back through Hyrule Historia. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's been officially confirmed in at least one or two places that, yes, this Deku tree is the grown form of the Deku sprout that appeared after we cleared the forest temple in Ocarina of Time, um, which yep. would, so which would be the offspring of the, the old Deku tree from the beginning of that game. Yes. Um, and I think it's also basically commonly accepted that the Koroks used to be the Kokiri. Yep. And that they have kind of, uh, taken on this new form. Mm-hmm. over over the passage of like eons right yep. um and it's interesting to me because the deku tree specifically says that the koroks assumed this form after the great sea was flooded which would make sense um but we also have koroks in breath of the wild and they kind of made that jump without a similar set of circumstances taking place so so this goes back to something that max and cody have both kind of talked about where breath of the wild was intentionally so far removed from other games and and 
terms of time elapsed that you could make the case that it is in any of the timelines, including Breath of the Wild or including Wind Waker. So like maybe Breath of the Wild takes place in the Wind Waker era after the because the Great Deku Tree directly references at the end of this section that his his dream is to one day spread forests enough that the islands will grow together into one great continent. So like theoretically could be that. I mean, I think it's more commonly held that Breath of the Wild takes place within the child timeline and right. it's just millennia and millennia and millennia away. And so, you know, the, the evolution of the species eventually would lead this way anyway. Um, and that does actually leave room for both Zoras and Ritos being around. Maybe they off shot somewhere. I, I don't know. Like there's Breath of the Wild kind of is its own interesting thing. But mm. one thing that this made me think about actually was Ocarina of Time being the earliest game game in the timeline besides skyward sword and uh unless i'm greatly mistaken there's no deku tree in skyward sword uh there is not um let me think minish cap actually takes place prior to ocarina of time as well uh there's not a deku tree in that one either so like where does uh where does tree pope come into play bringing that one back from season one <laughs> the tree pope ye, ye old tree pope um yeah, that's the, a season one throwback, baby. That that's like an episode one throwback. Episode one. I listened to episode one while I was in uh, Vegas for work, and uh, that was man, that was a journey. Yeah, I was gonna say, how uh, <laughs> have we come a long way, Matt? We we have come quite a long way. Okay. I mean, you know, structurally the bones were there, but plot recaps specifically come a long way. There we go. We're all about growing and evolving. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. That's a really good question. Um, uh, those are answers that we obviously don't get, but it is really cool. Uh, you know, I, there's something about seeing specific characters yeah. pop back up in this series that is always really fun, right? Um, you know, we, we spend a lot of time with new iterations of characters, mm-hmm. you know, or yeah. like reincarnated iterations of characters or whatever. But it, it's not too often that we see, you know, actual physical characters that that were in a past game, you know, for sure. And and so that's always fun when it happens. Um, interestingly, there's another theory that has been going around for a while. I don't know if this has ever been confirmed, but I actually, I think that it, I think that it's likely, I, I sort of subscribe to this theory as well, uh, which is that the forbidden woods dungeon actually takes place within the dead body of the original Deku tree. That is both, uh, gruesome and intriguing. <laughs> well, it, it's, yeah, I mean, yes, it's it's a little morbid, I guess, when you think about it too hard. But the thing is that once you get in there, one, it actually is, I mean, obviously, you know, much bigger, but um, it's arranged pretty similarly to that original Deku Tree, right? With yeah, like you even have the, the drop down thing where you have to break the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the doors all have that uh, that the sign Deku symbol of, yeah. of the Deku Tree that's on, on the it. Deku shield. Yeah. 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 So anyway, I think that that's that's at least an interesting thing to think about as well. So we'll call it Sacred Realms headcanon. Sacred Realms headcanon. There you go. Yeah. So with all of those lore bits out of the way, um, how did you enjoy this section of the game, Matt? I caught him right as he was taking a drink. This is rude. I didn't do it on purpose that time. Sometimes I, I, I do. Sometimes that you do do it on purpose. Yeah. Um, you said do do. God, are you four? Uh, lost my train of thought. Um, how did I like this section of game? Yes. Uh, 
to answer your question, I liked it. Um, I actually did not quite like it as much as the last section of game. So a couple things that stood out to me. Um, little less to do in fairness. For sure. For sure. So I think a couple things that stood out to me was the sailing wasn't as engaging this time around. There was a huge span of open water with not a lot in between. Like I fought the Bokoblins along the way, got the empty bottle that was there, um, bought all of the bait that I could from, um, beetle. Uh, like, yeah, there just was like, it felt a lot like Loftwing flying from one end of Skyloft to another um, in the early part of Skyward Sword where you're just like literally all you're doing is flying. And you're like, OK, this is kind of whatever. Cool. There's some rupees along the way, I guess. I'm still full up on rupees, so I don't really know why I'm doing this, but it's something to do. So that was um, it, it felt a little more bare than the rest of the game has so far. Uh like the controls were still great and the ambiance is still good. Um, the, the smoothness is great. The, that really rude fish that calls you small fry all the time. <laughs> like what is it with characters in this game? Just being rude. Like Tetra, this fish, the killer bees, like people are just kind of jerks. So interestingly, I was actually trying to go back and, and figure out what the name of this fish actually is because I've never known. Um, the name of this fish is, are, are you ready? You ready for this? I, I am. Yes. Fish man. Fish man. Fish man. Yes. So there you so go. So original. Wow. That's great. That That's really great. Um, so once we get to Forest Haven, things got much better, of course. Um, I liked the um, design and the layout. I liked using the grappling hook to traverse into the great Deku tree. I liked the, the Deku Baba things that spit you up into the air and make you, you know, rotate really fast. That was, that was really fun. Actually. I had a good time figuring that little jumping puzzle out. Um, the Deku leaf is a cool little item. Um, I actually found myself earlier in the game thinking, man, it'd be really nice to have a, uh, sailcloth for uh you know traversing <laughs> traversing some of this terrain and right. then boom there you go sailcloth well i think it's so funny because one uh we get two major items in this section of game yeah we'll talk about one of them when we get to the dungeon map but you know i i think they were both actually very useful items absolutely i i really like the deku leaf that's really fun like this is a this is a really cool thing to have gotten not from a dungeon mm -hmm. you know um and i also thought it was really wild i mean we basically just got the breath of the wild glider in the wind waker you know yeah i mean the fact that it takes magic power is a little bit of a buzzkill but also you kind of got to put limitations on it sure. otherwise it's just too good um and it's a little bit less um you don't go down quite as much and well and and the simple fact that i mean Breath of the Wild's glider is a lot more of your moment-to-moment -moment movement just because jump is something that's always accessible to you in Breath of yeah, the Wild, this right? Is, this is a puzzle-solving item. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and I like that a lot. I yeah. think I like puzzle-solving items. I think they're fun. But what I really like about the Deku Leaf is that you've got that. You've got the traversal mechanic, but you've basically also got access to on-demand what the um, – what the Korok leaves do does in, in Breath, Breath of the Wild, Wild, where you get to move enemies around or, or objects or in, in the dungeon, with the little gondola things. Yeah. Um, I wonder, and don't tell me if I'm right or wrong yet. Uh, one thing I thought about pretty immediately was, uh, can I use this to uh, move 
king of red lions? Like, can I create my own little gusts of wind? Like if I were ever to find myself in a windless area. So I don't know if that's possible or not, but that seems like a pretty cool mechanic. I've never tried. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. Well, yeah. that's too bad. That would be fun. Yeah, sorry. I think that'd be fun. <laughs> well, because King of Red Lions never has his sail out when you're not like in it. Yeah, you know? I know. But like, I don't know. I think that'd be kind of neat. Just yeah. personally. Oops. Anyway, not, not important. <laughs> um, Koroks were cool. I uh, like the very first thing that came into my mind when they popped up was like, oh, cool. Koroks are back. Or I guess here for the first time. But for me, they're back. And you didn't have to lift up a rock to find any of them. And they didn't go, yeah, ha, ha. Um, they did not gift you with their own feces. They did not gift me with feces, which was great. I appreciate the lack of feces. Um, although we do get some tree nut later in the, at the end of the, at the end of the section. Sure. Yes. Tree I, nut. Th- I think that literally is just what it seems to be. Though. It is, it's, but it was yeah. still kind of gross. Okay. Cool. <laughs> like cool. The, the, the facial expressions that accompanied it were, uh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, they were a thing. So I, I agree with you. I think. This section of the game is sort of an it's an interesting one to me because I really like all of the stuff that we do. I love the forest haven as an environment. I love the forbidden woods as a dungeon. Um, And I love all the items and everything. A lot of the characters that we meet. It's all it's all great. It's all great. But it does a really weird thing, which is that we're clearly at a section of the game where it wants us to be going to specific places at specific times. Mm -hmm. And if you want to do anything besides that, the game is basically just going to say no. It's going to give you a swift kick in the pants and say, no, you can't do that. It feels very Skyward Sword scripted right now. Yeah. Um, And and it's so it's so weird. I understand the dilemma, right? Because I'm, I'm assuming that this happens this way because they were worried about some kind of sequence breaking, maybe. Um, yeah. and, and the fact that the entire, so now that you have the wind waker, you know, the winds requiem and you have the king of red lions. If there were no boundaries on where you could go, then the entire great sea is now open to you. Right. Right. Like there's no barrier that keeps you from going to any grid on the great sea, except for this kind of arbitrary text bubble that says, no, you're going the wrong way. Um, and so I get, I get that that's a dilemma. I understand that that was probably pretty tough to find an elegant solution to from a game design standpoint. Yep. That doesn't mean that it feels good. Right. I think, I think in some ways like skyward swords dedication to the scripting serves it better than this because skyward sword knew what it wanted to be and stuck you on those rails. And, um, like there was like, you could theoretically explore the entire sky, um, in, in Skyward Sword before you went to any of the other areas. Yeah. There was not much to do, but there was nothing stopping you. Mm-hmm. So I think that in that way, it was a little better. I think also part of that has to do with the availability of signposting in the sky versus the Great Sea, because in Skyward Sword, the, the signposting is so easy. Giant beam of light, right? That is visible from anywhere on the map. Sure, yeah. With, with Wind Waker... It's very much like if you're at sea and you go the wrong way or you get off course by a little bit, that can just destroy you for, you know, the long run. So I think there is a there was more difficulty in the ability to um, guide and get on rails than um, 
in this game than there was in Skyward Sword. And I think just in this very specific instance, I'm not saying Skyward Sword does this better because I have not played all of Wind Waker. But in this very specific instance, I think Skyward Sword does this a little bit better than Wind Waker. Well, and it's uh, so you're getting a bad sampling here as well. I am fully acknowledging that because because what's kind of happening is so the only so there's only three grid spaces that you can be in between Dragon Roost Island and the Forest Haven and all three of those grid spaces. So two of them have got islands that are story dependent for later points in the game. They're useful. They're useless to you right now. I saw one. Obviously, I saw the volcano island on the way. And then I saw the island with the it looked like one of the robots from um Skyward Sword. It's uh, um, that that would had be, the Faroe. It had the Faroe thing on it. Yeah, that would be East Triangle Island. And, yeah, and you can do nothing at it right now. Yeah, I saw the I saw the robot that or the statue up there. Jumped up there because it looked interesting. Saw the symbol of Faroe on it and said, ah, I probably should come back here later. So. And then you have Bomb Island, which this is the only this is the only grid that there's really anything to get up to in this section of the game. And um, obviously, we don't have the bombs yet. So you can't access, you can't blow apart the boulders or anything that are there. Uh, but there is a character who is chilling out on this island um, who gives you a, a pretty a pretty good little hint um, and says that uh, if you were looking for an extra container of some kind, then there is a submarine to the south that you can board and uh, acquire that. So basically what that is is uh, this dude telling you that, hey, if you board that submarine and knock over the bacoblins who are you know, infesting it, then you get a bottle. And so you can get, you can have up to two bottles by the end of this section of the game. Yeah. Which, which, which I, I did. And yeah. I actually didn't find the bomb Island. So I did that all by me onesie. Well, you probably sailed right by the bomb <coughs> Island, but probably. Yeah. Was it, wait, was it the one that had the, if you, there's like a little out shoot and if you go on it, the vines pop up and smack you. Yeah. It's called, oh. it's called bomb Island because it looks like a bomb from top down. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Well, I went there, didn't find the dude. The one exception to this rule is that if you do, and, and you can't actually do this in, in like, so when you get on the King of Red Lions and he says, make the wind go south and we'll set off, you have to do that. You have to make the wind go south. Yes. Once you do that and you get in the King of Red Lions, then that little, that little, I, I guess those, that situation is satisfied. And then you're able to redirect the wind and sail in whatever direction you want. In most directions, it will give you that text bubble where it says go back to yeah, wrong whatever way. R- wrong way. But if you did want to go straight back west from Dragon Roost Island, you are able to get back to Windfall Island if that's something that you want to do. Uh, and I actually did do that. I went back over to Windfall Island to stock back up on potion because, again, I'm playing hard mode and I, I needed something to stick in a bottle. Um, but I also uh, hit up the auction mini game, which I don't think you've probably done yet. Nope. And got myself a treasure map from that. So not too much to really say there. Um, all that, uh, you know, all that to say, though, I was pretty well stocked up on bait uh, at this point in the game. And so I got the Fishman maps for, let's see, I've got the maps for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven grid spaces now. So, well, look at you working on filling in that map, if nothing else. I did not get any Fishman maps. I did fully stock up on bait. I saw one fish thingy and went over to it, but it was before I stocked up on bait, which is why the next time I saw Beetle, I just fully stocked up. So next time I see Fishmen flying around, I will uh, take advantage. I would highly recommend to you and to anybody listening, make a habit of just getting the map 
for each grid section that you happen to be in the first time that you visit it. Um, because, you know, later in the game, there are like puzzles and clues and stuff. And most of these islands are not like story required. Most of them are, you know, cool little side quests or cool little things to find. Um, and it can be a huge pain in the butt if you're trying to go back and find them later and they're not marked on your map. And you haven't just because you haven't gone to the trouble of like, you know, giving Fishman bait to get those marked. So definitely just keep your bait well stocked and uh, yeah, just make it a point to get those maps anytime you you fly through there. Um, the last thing I'll say about this is that I think um, one of the reasons that this is so frustrating is that you can see other islands in other grid spaces yeah. along the route, right? And of course, what you want to do is to just go exploring, right? Yep. And to and to go start seeing what there is to see in these places. And it's just very frustrating to be able to see a place and to see no obvious barriers between you and that place and just not be able to get to it. Right. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the Forest Haven specifically. Um, we get a lot of use out of the grappling hook here. We find some new enemies, the Boko Babas. Um, did you get monched by any Boko Babas, Matt? Nah. No. Nah. They're easy. I got hit by a few of them. I will say this game is a lot harder in hard mode than I remember it being, especially when you're at low hearts. Is there like a timing difference? Because like for me, it's very forgiving. Like I haven't really had a circumstance other than the boss of this dungeon which got me pretty low but um i haven't had a circumstance where i felt like there was a lack of forgiveness in my timing for uh hit stunning not really not really but it's, it's all just small stuff you know i mean like you know just like one slight like you you moved a little bit too far one way you took a hit now you're half a heart down with only four hearts. Yeah. You know, that, that's rough. Um, and, and with no path to health regen other than if you happen to find a fairy, which uh, I only found two in this section of the game. And they were in the dungeon, right? Yes. And they were in the same place. Yes. Yes. So I have yet to find a fairy in the overworld. Potions are there and they are available to you. And I, I did try to stay stocked up on those. But of course, I wasn't going to go all the way back to Windfall Island to stock back up on red potions after I'd used one the first time. Right. right. You just got to go get a blue potion from Hall Hollis. Hollow. 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 And and that is nice. I, I like that that is um, a resource that's available to you on this island. Um, and, and actually pretty cheap, too. Right. All you've got to do is go back outside and grind out a few more boko babas for seed pods so yep. so that is good totally useful if you're playing on hard mode definitely go into the dungeon with some blue potion it will make your life so much easier um and i i don't want to and you know I, I died once or twice in this section of the game you know like i'm i'm not really concerning myself too much with doing like a no death playthrough you know especially right. especially just because i don't I just don't know this game as well as I do like Ocarina of Time, for instance. So um, so it, it it is a fun challenge. I'm having a good time with it. it it's spritzing just a little bit. We'll OK, to, yeah, we'll, yeah, yeah. We'll have to keep an eye on it. Um, it is a fun challenge. Enjoying it very much. Um, you know, if you're looking for a little bit more of a casual experience, don't do it. But uh, or if it's your first time playing the game. So, yeah, all that being said, I mean, do you do you have anything else that you kind of want to say about this section of the game generally before we get into talking about the dungeon? Um, no, I think I, I think I covered it. Yeah, I'm good.
Well, with all that being said, let's go ahead and get into part three, which is the dungeon map, where we talk about this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. The dungeon this week is, of course, the Forbidden Woods, uh, where we get our 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 foresty dungeon of this game. Um, it, it was interesting to see forest second and fire first. I like, thought I thought an, that, that as well. Interesting, a uh, little. I think we're we're really used to getting Din's thing after Faror's thing in Zelda games. Yeah. Right? Because we typically start like we're just so used to starting in the forest area in Zelda games. Yeah. You know? Um, and so it definitely feels a little weird to be doing that slightly out of order. Um, but yeah, I, I think so this dungeon, definitely bigger even than Dragon Roost Cavern, harder than Dragon Roost Cavern. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more kind of exploration to get up to. It's it's much more labyrinthine, right? Where Dragon Roost Cavern had a large series of open spaces, you know. Yep. Um, this is much more just a a, a progression of small areas that you have to puzzle solve within rooms, and it's a very classic feeling Zelda dungeon in that way. Yeah. So it um it was a really good one, I think. I um very much enjoyed this dungeon. It had a it had a very creepy vibe that I think even Dragon Roost Cavern didn't really was it was never really creepy. Like it was dangerous feeling and cavernous feeling, right? But it was never um creepy the way this one was. Um the the enemy types I think lend a lot to that where they're um insectoid and kind of ethereal and the 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 hat the p i think they're p hats aren't they so they look like small p hats i couldn't are you talking about the the propeller yeah yeah yeah, the propeller enemies um yeah i'm pretty sure they are i couldn't i didn't bother googling the name of these things because they've got to be p hats right i mean they're basically identical to the the top down enemies right of of Um, the same name i think that they are called Nope, that's not them. Um, ba, 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 ba. No, I, I don't know, actually. Um, seems like not even Zelda Dungeon knows what they're called. Vines, Morth, Mothula Wingless, Mothula Winged, Dexavine. Um, We're just going to call them P-Hats for the sake of the discussion. I think that's fair. Cool. So, yeah, you're definitely right. We've got a kind of a creepy vibe here. A lot of different enemies. I mean, a lot of different enemy types in this Mm -hmm. dungeon. Um, And the thing that I enjoy about that, too, is that even though a lot of the enemies that we fight in here aren't necessarily hard, you're basically always having to manage some kind of enemy encounter in here. Right. Yeah. Whether it's P-Hats, whether it's Boko Babas or whether it's the little what are they more they are called p-hats they are cool. yeah we're right Woo. yay uh the little cocklebur things morph morph call them morph yeah and i don't think those actually can even do damage to you for a second no i thought that they would do like what the skyward sword yeah where they tick 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 boom yeah, yeah no they didn't um but i mean of course they 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 do tend to swarm you right and oh, so very annoyingly yes. so they they definitely take some managing you know you got to do a lot of rolling around or spin attacks to kind of get those guys off your back um which is an annoyance early in the dungeon but is actually a huge issue very annoying in the mini boss fight yeah a very yeah. very much an issue in the mini boss fight um you're so, which we're going to talk about in a second but uh we, we've got a lot of different enemies and enemy encounters to sort of manage here one thing that i really like about this dungeon a lot matt is that it's very vertical there's a lot of verticality here yeah and it wasn't like overly confusing verticality i didn't find myself really getting lost but i did go in and out of rooms uh, uh, once or twice 
place and um, trying to explore the whole space as best I could, given the equipment that I had at the time, because that's one of the great things about vertical dungeons is if you really take advantage of the entire space and explore the whole space, you can generally find something pretty useful <coughs> to to either help your neutral game or to help you along the way. Um, found the treasure map, found a lot of rupees, um, but generally just enjoyed kind of exploring the puzzles to um, the puzzles with the gondolas where you had to bring them over and then uh, aim your core, aim your Deku leaf. I keep trying to call it a Korok. Leaf. Yeah, I know me too. Um, aim your, aim your Deku leaf to hit the, the switch on the other side, or uh, there's actually a later one where you have to move your gondola up a little bit before you can hit the switch. Like, yeah, I thought that was really well done. Um, and the, the door guards, uh, that are not keys the ones you have to kill uh, the little eyeball thingies yeah yeah um i thought that was a cool little addition um i, I thought just a really really solid wow well done dungeon yeah and i i think if you're going to introduce an item like the deku leaf which allows you to you know to float in conjunction with these like boko baba pods that launch you into the air you know those are both things that are that's a mechanic that's introduced to us in the forest haven and then it's kind of used as a main element of the dungeon all the way through it, right? And I think that that's, that's really nice. That's a really nice building of, like, learned knowledge in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it really, I don't know, it really makes, um, it, it can feel disorienting at times, right? Because when you walk into a room the first time, as soon as you notice that the that there's a floor way beneath you, but it's not a bottomless pit, you know? At that moment, it really becomes a big deal to start taking stock of like, how do I get down there? Yes. Like, okay, so here's where I came in. Can I see where I need to exit and what do I need to do between here and there? And is there something I should be doing before I hit the exit? Like, I always find myself down and up. Okay. That looks like the route I should go. Okay. Should I go up first or is up the way I need to go to get? exit or do i need to go Mm. down to find the other things so i always find myself looking for those opportunities and just building off what you said about the deku leaf being an additional item one of the things that i really liked was the not only the deku baba sprouts that shoot you up but also there was once or twice when i would swing with the grappling hook and then let go and then glide further. So I I really, really liked those where it looks like you can see that it's just a little Mm -hmm. too far to make it by yourself. And you have the assisted glide of the Deku leaf that thought it was great implementation. Well, and it's really nice that anytime you hop into one of the Boko pods, it refills your magic, right? Um, Wait, it does. Yeah. Every time you hop into one of the Boko pods, it completely refills your magic meter. Well, that's cool. I didn't notice that. It's really nice. So yeah, that's a fun, that's definitely a fun little tip. If, especially if you haven't played this dungeon yet. Yes. Anytime you hop into one of those pods, it refills your magic. That really kind of takes a lot of the pressure off of your aerial exploration of some of these spaces, right? Um, definitely don't feel too much pressure to use magic, um, in order to kind of explore the space with the Deku, uh, Deku leaf, um, which isn't to say, I mean, even, you know, magic jars are pretty plentiful, right? Like yeah, cutting yeah, grass. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it's hard to come by. Exactly. <clears throat> no, I was never hurting for magic, for sure. Yeah. So that's all good. You know what? One observation that I made while I was playing this that I think is really interesting. So especially comparing this game to Ocarina of Time and the first two dungeons we get in this game. Yes. And the first two dungeons that we get in that game. Um, we basically have got 
Dodongo's Cavern on steroids. Yep. And the Deku Tree on steroids. Yep. Are our first two dungeons in this game. And they have a lot more difficulty and complexity than they do than those that their analogous versions do in Ocarina of Time. Yep. One thing I really like about them and in this one as well um, is that these early dungeons have keys, whereas they don't in Ocarina of Time. Right. And so one of the areas of added complexity that both of these two dungeons have, this one especially, is that you do a lot of exploration trying to find keys to get into key lock doors, you know. Yes. Um, and I, I, I think that's great. I, I, you know, I love Ocarina of Time so much. I really do. But those first two dungeons, especially in Ocarina of Time, uh, Jabu's belly doesn't really feel this way. But Mm-mm. but the first two definitely kind of feel a little bit like baby's first 3D dungeon, you know. Yeah, Um, they feel very introductory. And I really like that this game is not afraid to kind of just give us fully fleshed out, moderately difficult, um, you know, brain power required dungeon experiences this early in the game. Um, Last week definitely did that. This week does that. I, I think that it's great. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I thought it was a very well done um, dungeon overall. Um, It definitely doesn't have those training wheels feelings um, while still being approachable. So um, I I never felt like overly challenged in a way that like pushed me to think super creatively. It was more of a how can I utilize the tools of a 3D game to explore the entire space in a in a fun way? well, and they have length on their side too, right? I right. mean, they're not short dungeons. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So I, I, th- I think that it's really great. I, th- I really, really liked this this dungeon a lot. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and talk about the mini boss fight um, because I actually thought that this was a really fun mini boss fight and was a return of one of our one of our main nemeses from Link to the Past, which of course is Mothula. Ah, yes, Mothula. Um, Gotta say, this version of Mothula, much more fun to fight than that version of Mothula. Yes, I definitely agree, <laughs> 1,000%. Um, it's it's a really, really great fight, I think, because you it's pretty apparent early on what you need to do. You have to use the Deku Leaf to stun Mothula, and then once it you know, once its wings get knocked off and it's on the ground, then you have to do damage to it by doing successful um, dodge parry attacks. Right. Right. So that sounds easy on paper. But of course, this thing is spitting swarms and swarms of those little spiky. What are they? Morphs. Morphs. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just they're following you all the way around this map. Um, And, you know, if they if they cling on to you, then you're all of a sudden going way more slowly than you were. And you're susceptible to taking some pretty big hits from Mothula when it does charge attacks. Yeah, it's um, it's hard. Like they, they do this. The Morphs do this weird thing where they follow you around in their little swarm pod but as soon as you like drop down into a spin attack they'll stop and stare at you so you almost have to like walk around uh, in your spin attack try to get close to as many of them as you can and swing around and, and take them out before Mothula comes and smacks you um, or you just have to try to avoid them and run away and, and just damage Mothula until he dies and then yeah. luckily when Mothula dies they all blow up with him but um, yeah it was it was a good boss fight that was a little hectic. Um, I've, I think sometimes, especially in the last, um, 
in in a lot of 2D games, these boss fights feel hectic in a bad way where there's just too much going on or um, they don't feel hectic at all. Um, this one felt very. Um, energetic. Yeah. Yeah. Energetic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Way to put I that. agree. Um, and it's really nice. I, I appreciate that the mini boss cannot be killed in like one damage phase. Mm-hmm. Basically. Yeah. Um, it's not that it's a super long fight, but you know, it, it does take a little bit of time to get through. And that's what I love about, about mini boss fights done well in Zelda games. You know, um, I hate when they're just a, a total breeze. I, I like when they require a little bit of effort. Uh, and this one definitely does. So it was a good time. Mm-hmm. And of course we get a really wonderful reward from beating this mini boss, which is the, the boomerang. boomerang. Let me tell you what, this game's version of the boomerang is really cool. It's epic. It is very good. I was so hoping for the bow and arrow. Um, I don't know if this game has a bow and arrow. I assume it does, but I, I don't it know. Does. It could be wrong. Yeah. Okay. So it does. I was hoping for the bow and arrow just because I always love the bow and arrow. I think it's one of the best items in any Zelda game. Um, and uh, I was hoping for it. When I got the boomerang, I was like, ah, I mean, cool, I guess. And then I started using it and I was like, okay, no, this is actually pretty cool. I, I like this boomerang. Yeah. Uh, the ability to target five different enemies or five different things at a time and it hits them in that order, even if it like has to do some weird backtracking and zigzagging yeah. uh, is, is really cool. Well, and it's so nice because uh, I, I feel like other games versions of the boomerang, you know, I'm thinking of Ocarina of Times. It's very one dimensional. Um, yeah, Ocarina of Times and then even Twilight Princesses, you know, the Gale Boomerang. Yeah. You know, I feel like they are mostly used for puzzle solving. Mm-hmm. And this one definitely is as well. Being able to target five different points um, and release, it, it's definitely something that gets used to solve a lot of puzzles, definitely in this dungeon. And I know others later, um, but it, it, it is also a very effective combat tool. And a lot of that is just because one it travels pretty fast. It moves a lot faster than the boomerang in Ocarina of Time. Um, and it goes far. And it goes far. And it, it's really, really nice for, at the very least, stunning low-level enemies long enough for you to get an attack in. It outright kills the Boko Babas, which is cool. Yep, I, I did appreciate that. Also, is very useful for clearing morths whenever they're on their little podiums far away from you like a little later mm-hmm. in the dungeon um i like this boomerang a lot i thought it was very great um the ability to snipe the pea hats out of the sky um is very useful yep. for the section where you're trying to kill them and gondola swing all at the same time uh-huh. i like that a lot um the one puzzle to get the boss key where you have to hit all five yeah. um, switches. That was fun. I liked that. It, it didn't take me overly long to solve, but I thought it was a good use of the space and, and adding an obstacle on one side. So you had to do it in a specific order and you had to get on top. And then also the fact that it's not just targeting within your visual range, but it, it saves the targets that you've hit, yeah. you know, while you can turn in a 360 degree radius. I thought that was a cool addition. Um, very powerful item for sure. I, I very like, I very much like this uh, yeah yeah i i definitely definitely agree um and i i enjoyed that puzzle as well matt i thought it was uh i thought it was a really really good one um i'm trying to think i I, of course the other big one is the uh the big like massive stump piece that's hanging by vines from the ceiling yeah you you have to dislodge the vines and then it falls through and breaks open uh the basement level you know yeah so i i tried to um do that one with a sword um 
spin attack and like obviously it didn't work so um went around and tried to hit them fast with the sword it didn't work so i was like okay either i need an item that i'm gonna get or i'm need to get a bigger Mm -hmm. spin attack um so that was a fun little because i've never seen a boomerang that targeted multiple things and so i was i wasn't my first thought was not boomerang. Yeah. Well, and it's so fun because Dragon Roost Cavern taught you it, it had a similar puzzle where there was a thing that was suspended by multiple ropes. And you had to and you spin had to spin attack, attack right? Yeah. So you already know half of the solution, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's just about using tools that you now have available to try and do something similar where the sword won't cut it, you know? And that's yep. again, we talk about a game teaching you uh teaching you um, solutions to things and then building on those over time. And this is a really good example of that. Um, and you know, I'm always, I'm a sucker for any dungeon where you use a massive something to like break open an area and then you can get to a new section of the dungeon. That that's always fun. It's it's fun to, uh, cause a destruction on a massive scale. (laughs) It is. It definitely is. Um, so of course, of course, all of those things together get us through the dungeon and do bring us to the boss, uh, real quick before we get there, we did mention earlier that we have two fairies that you can find in this dungeon. And of course, if you if you've got an empty bottle, a fairy is always a good thing to have around. If you're playing on hard mode, fairies are a great thing to have around. Uh, the first fairy is in one of the first uh, highly vertical rooms that you get to. You can drop down to the bottom and there's uh, a series of boco pods that will bounce you back up to the top. Um, there are some piles of leaves on the bottom floor of this room and you can blow those leaves away using the Deku leaf and one of those piles of leaves has a fairy in it. Um, And then of course there's also a fairy in a bottle outside the boss room uh, that you can collect as well. So those are good things to good things to know, you know? Absolutely. Of course, when we get into the boss room, uh, excuse me. Of course, when we get into the boss room, we are face to face with Makar. Poor Makar gets eight he does. He gets eated. Yeah. Poor guy. He gets nommed by this giant flower thing. <laughs> and and so, again, I was going back and trying to find the name of what this boss was because uh, it doesn't tell you at the beginning of the boss fight. And this thing is called the Ka- Kali Demos. Yes. Kale Demos. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that. Kale. Kale demos. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's a giant ass flower. You know what this thing is? It's the botanical version of Baronade. That is exactly the note that I wrote down when I first I was like, is this just a rehash of Baronade? Because that's exactly what it looks like. And the fact that it like goes up into the ceiling and it's got the bulb, the, and the, and the you've bulbous, use the, the boomerang to like knock, knock it, loose. it down, yeah. dude. It was literally Baronade retread, which like is kind of disappointing in some ways. Baronade was harder. Baronade was way harder. Yeah. Baronade was harder because it's just electrifies you all the time. And this actually does electric electricity also, which was weird to me because there was no other point in this dungeon that had any electricity of any kind. Does it? I thought it just like kind of hits you. Oh, it does. It, no, right, it's electrified. No, it's like it's wild that like they literally rehashed Baronade. But Baronade light. So the way that this works is that the boss will attach to the ceiling with a ton of vines and you've got to use the boomerang to lock onto tons of vines at the same time, knock them loose. Um, I want to say there's like 15 or 20 vines that it's attached 
by. And so you definitely have to kind of like roll around the space and avoid attacks while trying to target the vines with the boomerang. You can't get them all in one go. Um, but then once the boss is knocked free from the ceiling, it falls to the floor and it's, uh, it's fleshy inner bits become, <laughs> yeah, I know, uh, they, they become visible. And, uh, so you got to run up and attack that with your sword. It doesn't take a lot of damage to, to get this done. I think you can, you can pretty much get it done in two damage phases. Interesting bit of trivia. You can do it in one damage phase. You can insta-kill this boss. Um, Wait, really? Yeah. So I'm reading on uh, ZeldaDungeon.net. Uh, if you have some... Um, where is it? Here it is. Yeah. If you have some of the forest water from the forest haven in a bottle... Okay. When you knock the boss down from the ceiling and it opens up... All you have to do is walk up to its middle bit and dump the forest water on it, and it's dead in one hit. No way. Yeah. What? Yeah. Why? I have no idea. I'd love an ex. I'd love a lore wise explanation for that. Like maybe it's it. I don't know. It's like it's, the it's, sacred water of the yeah. It's an or evil. Something. It's an evil thing, and it can't stand the sacred water. Like that is wow. That's wild. That's like the Holy Grail water in uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Except yeah. the opposite because it uh, doesn't. Although I guess it does kill you if you you're put it you're, in the wrong you're thing. choosing poorly, poorly. On, behalf <laughs> on behalf of the of boss. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. What? Yeah. Okay. All there right. You go. Fair enough. Insta kill is possible on this boss. Although that being said, it's easy enough to kill on its own. I would say it's probably not worth nah. Like keeping that, you know, that that like you want to have that bottle freed up, right? So I mean, sure. I my so my experience was it was pretty much the same. Um it wasn't not hard and I think the only thing that was a little bit annoying and it I always find it annoying when there is a mechanic for a boss that it it damages you no matter what you do, right? Like in this case, if you're uh, if you're on there, if you're on the pedal smacking away at it, um, and you do the maximum number of hits you can do, it just swallows you and spits you out and that hurts you. And like, I always find that a little bit annoying. It's like, why, why are you doing that? Like, why can you not let me, um, have skill enough to escape this without like sacrificing damage? So like, I guess you could theoretically avoid getting hurt by that mechanic if you just hit it four ish times and then run away and let it re let it go back up to the ceiling. But, um, who's going to do that? Cause you, you want to kill it faster. So, okay, all that is to say, pretty straightforward boss fight here. Fun enough, I don't think one of the all-time great Zelda bosses. No. Okay. No. Do you have anything else you want to say about the Forbidden Woods before we get out of the dungeon map? The music is just kind of, I mean, Max mentioned this in the Discord. It's it's (laughs) ambionic. It's it's ambiance-focused. Yes, it is. is, uh, there's There's no catchy tune to be found here it really is just kind of adding to the to the vibe of the location i agree so which is kind of sad i mean yeah i, I agree um I, I think we're i think we're scheduled to have a discussion with max about this because he brought it up but um i definitely think uh this game so far has nothing even close to on par with say stone tower temple music from majora's mask right mm, stone tower temple dude uh, that's so good i listen to that soundtrack maybe once or twice a week yep that's great minimum oh it's so good mm. 
Okay. Well, I think that that's going to do God, it I just for play Majora mask, Majora's mask. If <laughs> we're going to get there, Matt, we're we going to eventually we'll get, there. we're playing a great game right now though. I know we are. We're playing a great game. I'm enjoying it. Okay. It's great. All right. Well that will, uh, I think finish us up on part three. Let's get into part four, which is bloopy trails where we talk about interesting things that diverted our attention this week. Matt, did you do anything this week that could count as a bloopy trail? I guess the only thing is just getting that other bottle. Um, I guess we'll count that. Okay, yeah, that counts. Um, like I said, I went back and I did actually participate in the auction mini game at Windfall Island. Um, and it's a fun little mini game. I won't talk about it too much until you've had a chance to do it, Matt, uh, because there is actually a a pretty big gameplay incentive to doing it later in the game. And so you you will be taking part in it. But uh, it's a fun little mini game. Um, you know, I don't know if the treasure map that I got from it was necessarily worth my time investment, especially because at this point, so this is definitely a blue pea trail too. Um, we're doing a lot of pulling chests up from the seafloor with the grappling hook, right? I did not because I was full on rupees. So that's the thing. So I know that some of these treasure maps will take you to chests that have like heart containers and stuff, you know? Um, but more often than not, they are getting you chests that are like 200 rupees, right? And if you're full on rupees, that is just a massive waste. Exactly. Which this is one of the things, this is actually one of those things that I really appreciate about um, Twilight Princess, where it introduced the system where if you open a chest and it's got more rupees than you can hold, then you can put it back. You can put it back. Yeah, right? that's pretty great. And I like really wish that that was something this game did because. Or like, that's the only game that did it. Yeah, exactly. It, I wish that that was carried forward. But, but especially with with kind of uh retrieving treasure with retrieving treasure chests from the seafloor being such a big part of this game and like your attention being drawn to them so much by those glowing spots on the ocean right Mm -hmm. yeah it would just be really nice if that if that had been an option here because there's really nothing worse than having 500 rupees finding a 200 rupee chest and then not being able to keep any of it yeah like i i pulled up one treasure chest and it was a 50 rupee piece and i said okay i guess i'll save that until i need rupees like that's the rest of these the rest of the ones anything that anything else that i see i'll save it for a different time yeah yeah so uh yeah i that definitely counts as a blue trail as well um and then you know like i said just filling out map sections and uh and kind of briefly visiting a succession of islands that you can't really do anything at right now but i think you're right matt i think i think that extra bottle is definitely the biggest one right now i will say there is an extra secret to be discovered in the forest haven um and you can get to it immediately as soon as you have the deku leaf and it's a fun little easter egg i didn't get to it um i will go look for it again later and we'll talk about it in a future episode but uh yeah there's your there's your hint matt you can find something else in the forest haven Cool. Well, maybe I'll uh, spend some time exploring. Cool. That sounds good. You should do that. All right. Let's get into part five, which is Z targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happened across. And uh, I was I was kind of I was back and forth a little bit on who I was going to pick for this one because there's there's a few good options. I'm actually going to go with hollow the uh the korok who runs the potion shop that's a good pick because uh you know very helpful little guy i appreciate that blue potion it's great hollow is the latest in a long series of non-human characters who inexplicably run commerce institutions in places (laughs) where there's no commerce no no commerce like who's (laughs) who's buying potions who needs potions from hollow right especially when it's uh when it's solidified that the koroks are only on uh, forest haven once a year right like there's nobody there 
ever. I don't think the Deku tree needs blue potion. Right? I don't think like, so. No. So, I mean, look, I appreciate it. I'm grateful for it. It was very beneficial to me specifically, and I don't think anybody else ever. So thank you, Hollow. I appreciate you. <laughs> thank you for your service. <laughs> yeah. I mean, thanks for sticking around. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you at least will continue to be present in the forest haven, even though all of your brethren are gone although it sounds uh, very lonely uh makar makar sticks around as well oh he does stick around yeah. well that's good does yeah. he just play his fiddle for the deku tree on a daily basis well for now but uh maybe we see makar later in the game i don't know oh, okay fair enough yeah um so my z targeting pick is the deku tree just because uh he's he's a little blast from the past a little deku sprout grew up to be a big boy um i will say i find his character model interesting um the the jutting upper, the under underbite and the one tooth and the big nose, I think kind of clashes with the tree Pope of old, right? I think it fits for this game's aesthetic, but I do have to say I prefer uh, OG tree Pope uh, look for the Deku tree. Um, this feels more majestic and more forest, ancient forest spirity and, um, you know, even the Deku tree, the Deku tree in Breath of the Wild is, is kind of the same thing um, as the OG tree Pope. Um, so interesting choice characterization wise, um, but he's a jolly fella. So I appreciate that about him. He's not nearly as uh, Shakespearean in his language and he's uh, he's a little more upbeat than uh, OG tree Pope, although I guess that probably comes from not dying of a curse. So <laughs> right, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I got to believe that OG Deku tree was a, was a cheery fellow as well before in he, his youth. Yeah. Before he had a cursed spider that was kind of lodged all up in him <laughs> in his bowels. Yes, exactly. Ugh, yeah. No, that's not a, not a good way to go. Um, no, uh, tree Pope, uh, tree Pope jr. We'll call him tree Pope jr. Gets yeah. my, Gets my vote. Cool. Good pick. Very good pick. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into part six, which is our final thoughts, which is where we let Matt wrap up this section of the game in as succinct a way as he can possibly think to do. So we continue our journey across the Great Sea um, to collect more of the goddess pearls where we uh, travel west. No, east. So south. Mm, we're gonna try that again where we travel south uh to encounter the great forest spirit the deku tree um we embark on a MacGuffin journey to save one of his children who has gone wayward uh and dive into the bowels of the og tree pope to uh <coughs> save this little forest spirit uh from the dangerous monsters within um this section of game while being uh, less interesting on the on the front end than the uh, last two sections of the game uh, does have a really great dungeon that uh, puts us through uh, some more 3D dungeon paces and a, a lengthy trial of uh, skill and puzzle solving and uh, vertical exploration that is really enjoyable all the way around. Um, getting two items in this section of game is really a huge bonus. Uh, two very good items that tr uh, help solve puzzles and defeat enemies. Uh, the boomerang being probably one of the best iterations of the boomerang that we've seen in any um, 3D Zelda game. Uh, so all in all, uh, a really great section of game that culminated in a less than satisfying boss fight, uh, but still high marks across the board. Well done, as always, Matt. That, of course, brings us to the end of the Sacred Realms Rundown. For this week, we will be back next week with another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown, talking about another section of The Wind Waker. 
Oh man! One uh, once again, Matt. I think I think we can uh, pretty pretty easily say the rule from here on out is going to be that when it's just you and I, we're um, sub two hours. We're we're definitely sub two hours. I mean, look, we've got Max coming on next week, so so we know that's going to be a two hour episode. That's going to be a two hour episode. But yeah, we're we're running at a svelte one twenty right now. Wow, that is like OG time frame. That's yeah. Man, we haven't hit one twenty since before. Um, probably since Skyward Sword. Yeah, I was gonna say before Breath of the Wild, we probably we were probably sub one twenty in in Link to the Past. I would think. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, we were. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> we just we just go where the pod takes us, right? And you know, when it's when it's done, it's done. And exactly. and I, I think I think we covered this pretty well. Um, I, I am kind of curious. I mean, so we're pretty pretty much clear of the introductory section of the game right yes. now and we're going to be moving on to more difficult and complex challenges going to be um seeing the world open up a lot from here um so yeah i mean is this uh is is this still hitting hitting some pretty good some pretty good notes for you matt you know is it is it good yeah it's good I, i'm very much enjoying my time with the game um i think that i'm excited to see the game take a more serious turn and in a more um Tonally and um, experience wise, um, I'm looking forward to some more challenging dungeons and uh, more exploration, which I've always heard is one of the high points of uh, Wind Waker is this exploration is great. So looking forward to uh, being able to dive into those things, um, which we haven't gotten to do a lot of yet. So, uh, yeah, I think good so far, but looking forward to more. Couldn't agree more, Matt. Obviously, we got a lot of uh, good stuff coming up and we will get to it before too long. But I think that that brings us to the end of this episode. Time to get out of here for the week. Uh, Actually wrapping up at a decent time of the evening tonight, Matt. Hey, look, it's not midnight. It is not midnight. Go us. All right, y'all. If you enjoyed today's show and you'd like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and you can become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it's not a problem. Five-star Apple Podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Uh, definitely follow those channels uh, this week as we do have the Game Awards coming up on Thursday. Matt and I will be watching watching and nintendo is known to participate in these uh we do have tears of the kingdom coming up in uh, the not too distant future so it's not outside of the realm of possibility that we might get another trailer or something for that game during that event uh might happen, might not happen, about 50-50. Definitely wouldn't expect it, but it, it would be a good bonus if it did. Uh, but of course, it's always worth watching the Game Awards just to, uh, you know, enjoy a night celebrating this hobby that we all uh, that we all enjoy together and uh, definitely seeing um, seeing excellence in this space honored uh, on, a, on a grand stage like that. So um, definitely recommend setting aside some time to watch the Game Awards because it is always good. And even if it's not Zelda, there's almost always some... Uh, juicy tidbits that are dropped during that event absolutely it's gonna be fun yep sacred realms will be back next wednesday with our thoughts on the wind waker chapter four we would love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels the wind waker can be played in its original form on the nintendo gamecube it can be played in its hd remaster on the nintendo wii u it can also be emulated on any machine that is capable of running a dolphin emulator but in the meantime may your hearts be full may your arrows never miss we will catch y'all next week 
Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.